Good morning. Um, I have to thank uh, Randy for printing my message. My computer's been on the blink. So I ran over to his house and he printed what part of the message that I had finished. I have a blank section up here called introduction <laughs> that uh, I think I just figured out what I should talk about because that song, Casting All Our Cares Upon You, you know, when you're four years old, your concept of God, and you might not be quite ready to cast all your cares upon uh, God, but there's always mom. So I got this text from Elizabeth uh, a, a couple of days ago, and she, she texts me and she says, Jack, which is our four-year-old grandson, said, Mom... I have to keep my eyes open all night tonight. I had a bad dream last night. She said, well, what was it? She, he said, I dreamed that Walmart only had one aisle of toys. <laughs> so she started laughing, but he continued. He said, and they were all in disarray, and most of them were on the floor. said, Granddad Dad, which is the other grandfather, he can't take us to Walmart anymore. So, so he was looking to his mom for con- consolation and um, I guess a way to sleep that night. But uh, we all have cares at every age. So that was his this week's care. Um, today's message is, um, well, I, I don't know if it's as much for me as it is for you all. It's kind of like maybe in... In symbolism, I should just turn around like I'm preaching to the choir uh, instead of to the congregation. But um, it's one that's been on my heart, and I'm still kind of working through the application part that I feel like the Lord's challenging me with. But I want to start with a verse out of Isaiah 42. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to put my glasses on to make this in focus, but you all are not. So... You, you know, if you, this is the best time for you to sleep because I can't tell if your eyes are open or not. So. <laughs> Isaiah 42, the first part of this chapter uh, is the first part of what's called the, the first of the servant songs of four songs that are in Isaiah. And um, down in verse 9, it says this, Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Now, as I thought about this verse, and we're going to be in Luke this morning, um, it occurred to me that the first four verses of chapter 42 is a lot like cha- uh, chapter 61, which is the, the ch- chapter that Jesus, after coming back from the wilderness um, temptations, is the one that he spoke uh, in the temple about himself. And so what I want to do is kind of look at something that he began to talk about very early in his ministry. Um, first of all, you know, he was, as his ministry started, he was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, um, and then he, Then he was drove into the wilderness, and he he came out of those wilderness temptations uh, with power, and he spoke out of 
uh, Isaiah chapter 61. He then called a few of his disciples, and one of the first miracles that he did was uh, the the miracles at the wedding at Cana in Galilee uh, at his mother's request. He then, uh, as best we can tell, went to one of the Jewish festivals that's required of all men. Uh, the commentators have a, a little bit of disagreement about whether it was actually the Passover or one of the others. But he went for that festival, and that's the first time that he cleaned the money changers out of, out of the temple, saying that it was not a marketplace. While he was there in Jerusalem, um, Nicodemus visited him at night, um, and he talked to Nicodemus about these new things uh, and being born again and what that meant. And um, then he, after this, he began to return back to Galilee. Uh, on the way back to Galilee, um, he stopped in Samaria at the well and ministered to the woman at the well and spent a couple of extra days in that town ministering to those people before getting back to Galilee. Um, once he was in Galilee, the Galilean ministry started. And what he did there in his teaching and, and healing is he healed a man with an unclean spirit. He cleaned a boy. He, he, he healed a boy. He healed Peter's mother. He, cast, he healed a leper and a, and a paralytic. And this brings us to where we are um, going to be today in Luke chapter 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles. I've got in my notes two translations, the New American Standard and the New Living Translation. And, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but we'll probably comment back and forth. It's a little bit um, more readable um, in today's language. So if you'll bear with me, um, I'll give you a minute to get to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27 to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. 
For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. It's a very familiar scripture. Um, It's interesting that this particular account is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three um, have this particular story in there. Um, There are things I like about each of the translations. I I like the fact in Matthew it says Jesus saw a man. It doesn't say he saw a tax. It says he saw a man that was sitting at a tax table. And you know, for some of us here today, that might be the only thing you need to hear. It's like, well, maybe the Lord's dealing with with you about um, how you see people. Do Do you immediately... Categorize them by what they do or instead of who they are. You know, Paul said that he would see no one except according to the Spirit and said that we all should see people that way. Who are you really looking at? And so if you need with the, with the presence of the Spirit to leave now and deal with that, that's fine with me. The whole purpose of preaching is uh, that people respond. And so... Uh, I just would encourage you as we go through this, you know, I'm just going to give you information. And with that information, I trust that um, you and, and, and the Lord can transact through the Spirit. Whatever it is He wants to talk to you about or apply in your life uh, today, because we're here to meet with Him, not just to learn a little bit more about what the Bible says. And so... It's always, I think, for any of us that stand up here, our, 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 our deep heart is that something's imparted to you that, that brings life in one way or another. And so, um, you know, the other thing that I, I didn't reconcile, and it's probably a simple, in, in one of the translations, it calls Levi Matthew. Now, it's probably just a difference in, in whether it's um, his Hebrew name or his Greek name, but I didn't I didn't pursue that because it's not germane to what we're talking about today. But um, <clears throat> I want to just kind of move through this conversation. It's just as I've just started rereading the Gospels again. It's just amazing to me to to dwell on some of these lengthy exchanges Jesus has with with uh, sinners and with people that. Think they're not sinners, the the, the righteous, shall we say? Um, so we want to kind of walk through this because this, to me, was one of the first places where Jesus begins to begin to declare these new things that uh, he was foretold in Isaiah for him. That the thing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it's different from what you think it is. If you will. Have ears to hear what I've got to say. That you know, it's a, it's at hand, so it's it's near because this new kingdom is a kingdom of relationship and not a kingdom of rules. And so he is to give a fresh view of this 
this kingdom to the people there. So we see that the feast took place um, on a traditional fast day because those serious, zealous Jews at the time were fasting because tradition had it that if you're a fervent Jew, you fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Now, it's interesting, as I read through some of the commentaries on this, there was only one one biblically required fast day, and that's the Day of Atonement, which I guess for the Jewish people is coming up really soon now. But, um, but tradition had morphed into all these ways of, of demonstrating your seriousness about um, following the Judaistic faith. And one of them was that you fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And so it's obvious from the comments that are made after this that the feast that Levi held was uh, on one of these two days. And so what happens is these people come and they ask this question. Why do you eat and drink with the tax collector and sinners. That's the new American standard. Tax collectors and sinners. Um, the way I read it, they're just and they're just looked at as scum. And so <clears throat> this was the question that they posed to Jesus' disciples. Now it's interesting who answered the question. It says, and Jesus answered. Because the disciples probably were looking at one another thinking I don't know, and we're not comfortable being here with these tax collectors and sinners either. You know, as I thought about this, it's like it's really early in their discipleship process with Jesus as well. He's already subjected them to staying two nights in Samaria, which is just a no-no for for a a Jew. You just didn't associate with this. Now here, here he's taken them to eat with a tax gatherer and sinners. Um, and so they're kind of scratching their head thinking, we don't know the answer to this. We, um, we're just doing what the boss said do. You know, I, I remember way back in my first, as I started walking with the Lord, T and I worked um, at the state fair with Greg Gully on some of the um, ministry there. And he had a guy come up. I don't know if any of you remember a guy by the name of Doug Holmes, but he came up from the Alabama, Mississippi area. He was a studio musician down there, and he was a part of this. And Doug stayed with us for a couple of the years that 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 we were a part of that ministry. And I remember him telling me, he said, yeah, when I was a young Christian, he said, I, I, I would go around with this guy that he had a really mature ministry, and he'd lay hands and pray for people and he said I just kind of get behind him and say me too he said and I think that's kind of where the disciples were they were like we're just going to follow Jesus and and this is where he is we're we're supposed to be here with him and so they didn't really know what the answer was at that time but Jesus Jesus responds and um you know what what he says it is it is not those who are well who need a physician but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the New American Standard. And, you know, I I got to thinking about it after reading the New Living thing because uh, it doesn't really communicate. If you just read through it, it didn't come to call the righteous. Well, absolutely, there was nobody righteous there. 
you know. Uh, there were people that thought they were. And uh, it just reminded me of how masterful Jesus is at responding either indirectly to a question and responding gently with gentleness and compassion to people that seemed repentant and how he had this way of, in in my business, because we do appraisal and you're supposed to stay above board with your conversation, um, we call it being professional. Uh, You really want to put a barb in somebody because they just exaggerated or told a lie or something so you find this professional way of saying that you're a liar without calling him a liar and so to me Jesus has this great ability to be very professional in his responses and that's why I like this new living translation he says I have come not to call those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners and need to repent and um I just have to appreciate the way he is able to deal with those that he sees as repentant and those that he sees that are not repentant um, without being uh, using the coarse language, let's say the coarse language of the day. Um, I think the worst he ever used was woe, and you better watch out when you've got a woe. So, um, but. The Matthew version goes on and really explains the heart of that. He says, it says there, go and learn what this means. I I desire compassion or mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, this whole new religion, this relationship was not like Judaism, like these guys where, hey, we don't associate with scum, whatever scum is in your culture. But no, we do associate with sinners. That, that's the difference. Instead of avoiding them, Jesus is saying, these are the very people we've come to see delivered and set you know, in a right relationship with God. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it seems like this response just kind of went over the Pharisees' head because they just plow ahead. They just plow ahead with the next question here. Um, and they say... The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. Again, now, since Jesus has engaged them, he gives three illustrations at this point. He gives an illustration about fasting, which is kind of the subject. Fasting and feasting, which his disciples were doing, guilty of. He gives a a second illustration about a new patch on an old garment. And he gives a third illustration about new and old wine and new and old wine skins. So with fasting and feasting, he gives kind of an indirect answer. uh, If you look at it, it says the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom. Of course, they don't. Then, I mean, can you imagine for those of you all that went to Brandon and Anastasia's wedding, you saw how happy they were. You saw how much they enjoyed one another. You saw how they enjoyed dancing with one another. Can you imagine saying, you know, I just, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to dance. I'm not, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to enter into their joy. It was just, you just didn't do that, you know. And, and you didn't do that in a Jewish wedding either. 
I mean, as long as the bridegroom was there, whether he stayed the afternoon or five or six days, you entered into their joy. You feasted with them and you and you rejoiced with them. And that's what Jesus was saying to them is, although you don't see it, I'm the bridegroom of the wedding of weddings standing right before you. And these men here have chosen to, to, to relate to me. We're going, we're going to feast. I'm here. It's time to rejoice. Um, he also alluded to the fact that he would be crucified, that he would be taken away one day. And th- so that's what he has, he has said in this. And then he gives what's really two parables, one about the cloth and one about wine. And let's just read in verse 36. Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. It's interesting here to realize that he is not referring to the law being passed away. or He is not referring to the whole of the New Testament because the Bible also says that he's come to fulfill the law. And the, New Te- and the Old Testament is a shadow that points toward the very time that these people are living in. Um, so I thought that was an important point that we didn't mistake that. But what had happened is they had added so many stipulations and traditions to God's law. I, I don't remember how many, 600 and some, Roger, Greg, 600 and some things that they have now uh, interpreted need to be used to um, fulfill the, the, the principles of what the Old Testament lays out. And as Jesus said later, you know, in some of the woes, it was just a burden on people. It made it impossible for people to enter into the the very relationship they were supposed to. So, um, he gives these two parables about the garment and the wineskin. And, you know, they are parables. There's a kernel of truth there. And I think rather than dealing with it as an allegory, it's, it's just this. It's, Jesus is saying, I've not come here to reform Judaism. I've not come here to patch it up. I've not come to give you a new twist on how it's going to be. What I'm talking about is not compatible. It's, it's, it's totally other, just like God himself is other. And that's what he was trying to communicate in this particular passage. Um, the old way was a way of ritual and tradition, externals, based on the law, works aimed at helping you feel self-righteous. Um, and Jesus has come and said, no, it's not. It's, it's internals. So you ought to know that. The Old Testament talks about him looking on the heart, you know, when he's looked at David to be king. And so he's trying to get them to to look in a whole new perspective of what the Lord is trying to say to his people at this particular time. It's not 
righteousness by keeping the law, but righteousness through by grace and faith in me. Um, it's not being concerned with with being avoiding sinners, but being concerned with sinners. These are the kind of things that he was trying to to impart to these people and to disciple his own uh, disciples with. Now, I thought, okay, this is great. Now I've got it. We're all, you know, we're two thousand years past that, and so it's really easy for us to say, okay, I, I got it. I see the difference between the two um, in this. And you know, as I just reflected on it, I was like, well, is that all I'm supposed to get out of this, God? Is, is information that I can tell somebody if they ask me, what does all this mean? I can expound on this. And as I sat there and thought about it, it's like. No, will you just be quiet and listen for a little bit? And so I have been doing that. I'm, I'm still processing it. And I just want to throw out some questions to you all because we've been living in Christianity for almost 2,000 years. So I'm suspecting that there are traditions that we've added, expectations that we've added, ways that we think that needs to be exemplified. I don't know about you, but... I I can find myself still going back and forth. But yes, I'm saved by grace. Oh, I'm doing much better today. I feel feel more righteous today. I don't know. Do you, are you still having a little bit of works in there? I'm not completely free from that because of the way I was brought up in church. You know, you you heard it that way. You got to be good. If you listen, I was listening to some song the other day, and it was an oldie song. And every time I hear an oldie, I'm thinking. I bet Sandy Witt could redeem this song. <laughs> you know, if I just would get send it to her. But this one was about his girlfriend had died in a wreck, and now he had to be good so that he could go to heaven to see her. And I said, yep, that's what we think. We think we just got to be good, and that's the way to get there. Um, I want to read something out of a, a little book, my size books. I like these big books that are thick and small. <laughs> Um, actually, Roger put me on this book um, by one of the, one of his messages a, a, a number of months. And then when I saw who wrote it, Greg gave me a new New Testament that this man had translated from the Greek years and years ago. His name is J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips was a contemporary with J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. He was a vicar in the Church of England, and he was a Greek scholar. And so a part of what he did with his life was he took the New Testament Greek and translated it um, into a New Testament. And whereas, like, I love the New American Standard, but it's kind of a word-for-word translation. He had, tra- he had translated to communicate the thought of the words in Greek which uh, is a little bit different. But uh, Roger, in his sermon, uh, I don't know, it's been three or four months ago, read an excerpt out of this particular book about a a senior angel and a junior angel, that the senior angel was taking the the little junior angel around the universe, showing them the marvels of of God and what their young prince, which refers to Jesus, was talking about. And then he comes into our galaxy and points over to our little solar system and says, we're going to go over there. And so they go over there and he says, you see that little ball right down there? And the, and, and the, the junior 
angel says, it's kind of dirty. It's little and dirty. Why are we looking at... He, and the senior angel says, that's the visited planet. He says, everybody in the universe outside of time knows that's the visited planet. Um, and so I want to, with that in mind, I'm going to read out of the second chapter in this book a, a, a few excerpts. It's about four minutes. I've timed it, so I, hopefully you won't get too hungry. Um, it's called God Makes News. And it really does get where we're going here, so bear with me here. God Makes News. That this is a visited planet was the heart and core of the young church's faith. This was written in this was published in 1956, so it's got some age on it. But um, I want you to understand, it's written by a vicar, and the, the Church of England was probably like high church. But this man, he speaks his life in studying the Greek and translating the New Testament, and so this is a heart attempt at trying to talk about where the church is today versus the New Testament church and some of the characteristics that uh, are needed to renew us to the vibrancy of the New, Test New Testament church. Let me start again. This is the visited planet was the heart and core of the young church's faith. They went out with gay and unconquerable courage to declare that the hope of Israel had come true Jesus was indeed the Christ of God. It was not long before they saw that the hope of Israel was also the hope of the world and that the visit was not merely the fulfillment of a promise to a chosen nation, but the coming into the world of the light that lighteth every man. Therefore they preached good news, the good news that men were no longer fumbling and groping after God in the darkness. God had focused himself in a person, the man Jesus. And by faith in this man, men could begin to live. If the New Testament Christianity if New Testament Christianity is to reappear today with its power and joy and courage, men must recapture the basic conviction that this is a visited planet. It is from this conviction that there spring unconquerable certainty and unquenchable faith and hope. It is not enough to believe theoretically that Jesus was both God and man. It's not enough to admire, respect, and even worship Him. It is not even enough to try to follow Him. The reason for the insufficiency of these things today is that the modern intelligent mind, which has had its horizons so widened in dozens of different ways, has got to be shocked afresh by the audacious central fact that as a sober matter of history, God became one of us. I'm telling you, if you think about that long enough, 
of all the things he's done, God became one of us. This primary fact is the foundation of all New Testament certainty about God in life. But there is a second conviction which is almost equally important. The young church lived in the daily demonstrable conviction that this world was continually interpenetrated by the world of the Spirit. They were sensitive, alert, and flexible. And we can read for ourselves to what miraculous triumphs the Spirit led them. Again, if we are to regain the buoyant God-consciousness of New Testament Christianity, we must not only accept afresh the planned personal visit, but be ready for any number of subsequent invasions of the Spirit. God cannot conceivably have changed His nature or purpose over the centuries. But we may find, as we compare the life attitude of New Testament Christians with our own, that a subtle but disastrous change has come over us in the intervening centuries. We may find that our timidity and rigidity, our prejudices and our preconceived ideas are most effectively blocking the purpose of God. We must take the risk of being wide open on the Godward side. How does that fit into what I've talked about? 2,000 years of Christianity. We, we have these expectations. Um, we have our ideas that may or may not be biblical about things. And, you know, as I sat and thought about this, it was almost like... Um, the Lord said, "Are you are you still an old wineskin? Has your has your wineskin become old? <laughs> you know, I know what to expect. I'm comfortable with the way things are, in one sense of the word. You know, but new wine, whatever new thing God is wanting to do, whether COVID is one of those things to push us out of or make us stop and think again." You know, um, it's it's kind of hard sometimes. New wine, new new things that he's wanting to move me into, us as a church, uh, the church as a church. Um, it's not going to work if our if we're not flexible. You know, if if we've gotten comfortable in the place we're at, I kind of like. Bill's retired now and you know he he talks to me about the high calling he's not got to the top of the mountain yet God's still calling him higher God's calling us all higher individually and corporately as a church but sometimes there's a party that says you know the old is just fine the old is better that's what they said. That's what it says. So that's what the people said. And I just think for me, it's just been a, a, a time of just reflection and God asking those probing questions about what part of what part of my heart are you trying to expand that's 
kind of inflexible right now. Where are you wanting me to grow? Um, you know, I can look at Jessica about that. She's she's got new wine that's pushing there inside, and we all do. Uh, sometimes we're not even aware of what God's trying to do, but. Um, I would just encourage you to reread this passage and just uh, allow the Lord to um, minister to you. It, you know, He's always wanting to call us higher. I, I, I'm reminded of, um, I think it's in the Song of Solomon, it, in the last part, maybe it's the last chapter where He says, Come and run with me along the mountaintops. That's where He wants us. Not that, it, not that we're living from mountaintop experiences, but we're living in this higher plane of seeing where he's working. And, uh, you know, I know by reading this particular thing that lots of people have preconceived ideas of, oh, we've got to have more spirit in in our meetings. Where we need more spirit is in the Monday to Saturday, out there in the world, if we're going to see anything change. And so I just would encourage you to, to take take some time and reflect on whatever the Lord is impressing upon you as far as what he's wanting to do in your life and in our life as a church. Um, and, and let me just leave it at there. Our, our, um, our format now is not like it used to be with singles and friends where we've got five hours for everybody to spill their guts and, and, there be, a re, and be there a response. But God still wants to respond. He wants us to respond. And if we don't have the self-discipline to, to take it home and do it, it's just an wow. That was a really good message. Well, I hope it was so good that it challenges us to stop. You know, every message that God gives us as a as a group is like there's something in there for me, and so I just would encourage you, just take the scripture itself in Luke five and reread it and see what the Lord speaks to you. Let's pray, Father. We we humble ourselves that you, Lord, you don't give up, and Lord, you keep. You keep uh, tapping in that very area that you want to see us grow, in that very area where maybe we've, we've taken something that was exciting for us, but now it's a habit, uh, something that's become a ritual. Lord, whether it's uh, just singing the song or whether it's our prayer life or whatever it is, Lord, you know those things for each one of us. and. You know those things as a church that you want to see revitalized. Things that you want us to move into in a new way. And so, Lord, we, as Bill had prayed right at the end of our worship, we give ourselves to you, Father, to hear your word. And not only to hear it, Father, but to be responsible believers. Believers that are able to respond and will respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.